Welcome to Act React, a podcast where we explore improvisation through conversations with remarkable artists. I'm the host, Daniel Burkholder, a dance artist based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, on the unceded and ancestral lands of the Ho-Chunk, Menominee, and Potomotomy peoples. In this episode, I have the pleasure of, of sharing my conversation with Andrew Siseno. I have known Andrew for many years, but this is the first time we've really dug into talking about our improvisational practices. We have some similar roots in contact improvisation and the Feldenkrais method, but with quite different outcomes. I'm excited to share this conversation with you, but before that, here's a little bit more about Andrew. Andrew Suseno is a queer Indonesian Chinese American residing on the unceded land of Lelena Hoping. He has a physical therapy doctorate, a Labana movement analysis certification, and is a Feldenkrais practitioner, along with significant dance and contact improvisation experience. Andrew created Moving Rasa, AKA Parkon Resilience, as a form of site-specific movement improvisation and inquiry that centers his hybrid experiences as a diaspora person of the global majority. Rasa is the Indonesian word for taste or discerning feeling through the heart. For Andrew, moving Rasa is a dynamic connection to his Javanese Indonesian roots, leaning into the full extent of his somatic and improvisational background to dismantle internalized oppression and lift up hybrid practices that invite all people across ability, age, gender, and sexuality connect to their rasa and roots. Let's go ahead and jump into this conversation. Enjoy. Well, good day, Andrew, and thank you so much for joining me. Nice to see you, Daniel. Yeah, it has been a while. Yeah, I'm excited to kind of kind of catch up. And, um, you know, I've been kind of following you from afar, social media and all that kind of stuff and and seeing kind of things that have developed and evolved for you and just really curious to to kind of hear more about it. Um, to start, I just kind of offer this broad question is. So thinking about like your life currently right now, how does improvisation influence you show up kind of, how does it manifest itself in your life these days? Um, well, uh, there, I, I do a few uh, kind of affinity space circle groups virtually mm -hmm. online and they are uh, uh, BIPOC affinity space, BIPOC men, Asian American men. And uh, they're spaces where we can connect with one another. And we're doing so in a way that's connecting with our, our felt sense or what I'm calling rasa. And uh, so that's like an internal movement, internal sensation that can also be outwardly expressed in movement. And mm -hmm. so, uh, I play with improvisation there uh, in the way that we connect with one another and we feel into where each other is kind of moving so that we can um, best support how we're connecting to ourselves and connecting to the mm -hmm. topics in a way that our nervous systems aren't being activated too much, um, but that we can be on our learning edge as we explore the topics in our consciousness. Um, yeah. And so improvisation shows up, movement improvisation shows up there in the way that we are uh, responsive with one another and we're creating with one another. Um, 
It's been showing up in my writing. I've been working on a book for the past um, few years now, maybe nice. more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just on the work that I do. And um, yeah, I, I kind of look at the writing process as an improvisation to, mm-hmm. to kind of spiral into over and over again as you're going through, you know, concepts and ideas and chapters and things. And it, it's a, it's a nice process to see what emerges, to be surprised by it, to start to run with it. And, yeah. Um, to have somebody else read it, give some feedback and then, and, and it's almost like they're the witness and, <laughs> and then I improv it differently. Like I, yeah. the, the writing. So, um, so I take my practices into that as well. This is a yeah. couple of examples of improv. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, I kind of want to definitely talk about both of those. Um, maybe starting with the, you know, with the affinity groups. I would love to hear a little bit more, um, you know, whatever is comfortable sharing, of course, like what do what's the structure of those groups? How do how do those groups run? What when you're talking about improvisation, kind of how is that framed or offered? Um, any kind of like details about that process would be really interesting to hear about. Um, well, each each group has its own kind of personality characteristics, and um, we come up with shared community agreements um, mm-hmm. that kind of create the container of how we're <laughs> interacting and listening to one another. Um, and so again, the way the the way that the circle, the affinity space happens is that it's both a conversation and a and a movement space. So we're um, weaving them together so that we can connect more deeply with ourselves and the, and around the topics and the issues. Um, and so uh, there's a time when we do a check in to see how people are landing in. We uh, do some practices to get into the body, whether it's grounding, finding ways to kind of de-escalate our nervous systems if they're a little bit activated, mm-hmm. and also like prime any kind of um, particular movement aspects that we might be exploring. If it's like exploring our relationships to uh, the room around us, mm-hmm. um, and and like the walls around us, and like we might have a uh, movement warm-up activity that's about developing a relationship with those walls and pushing on them, leaning on them, identifying them in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And then those walls later become things that we might project meaning onto and understanding of like how we have walls in our life around certain things or mm-hmm. or like what are what are the containers? Um, that help us to be with life in, in certain ways. Yeah. And so the um, the movement becomes a metaphor, a place for direct exploration of, of the impressions that are inside of us mm-hmm. um, to explore and ask questions into with each other. Um, and there's no like, you know, set like hard structure of like what activities will be set it kind of goes around with where the group's going mm-hmm. um and um 
yeah so in that sense it's it's very it's responsive to where the group's going yeah yeah i know that's that sounds like a lovely practice of taking that time to kind of as you said like check in with yourself and be with be checking in with the group and kind of finding where it evolves is this so of course i've been like like over the last couple of days, I've been like reading stuff and watching videos and all this stuff of your of your work and this kind of transformation from Parkon to moving Rasa. Um, is this is this kind of the frame that you would talk about as moving Rasa, or is this just one of the aspects or one of the possibilities within that framework? It's one of the possibilities. Yeah. Um, Definitely something that emerged with COVID and having to be uh, online virtually. Yeah. Um, but it also, you know, the, the virtual aspect also opened up the possibility to connect with people who aren't in person with you. So, so you can, so you can do those things. So every, I mean, everybody's in their own individual private space as we're doing these things. Right. And so, so our partners become our rooms and our objects around us. And um, whereas in a, in-person situation we can you know literally lean our bodies on one another develop empathy in that way and develop you know understanding of the tactile relationships in those ways um yeah and uh i'm still connecting with uh rasa in the same way i think the difference for me between um or the maybe the evolution of where things came from Parkon into moving rasa yeah. is the idea of rasa um, and ra rasa is uh rasa is the indonesian word for taste or the discernment of feeling mm. um and for me and, and the discernment of feeling taste around anything anything in life so it's not just food but it's like what what's the how do my discerning the sensations inside me around um, it could be around my sense of love, around my sense of beauty, like those, they all do these internal movements, internal it changes, my, my perceptions, my desires, the images, the memories that all come about as a constellation of the Rasa that's, that's happening mm -hmm. around a particular thing. Yeah. So, um, Parkon, right, like was originally uh, a form that was kind of emerging from being inspired by contact and parkour coming right. together um and so in its first kind of manifestations it was it, it was exciting to like create all these virtual explorations on benches and playgrounds while in contact and moving through the terrain together um and there was something about um creating or connecting with the form in a way that it brought my context, my lived reality, my histories, my memories um, into it that I, I didn't quite understand at the moment when, when, like when we were first starting those explorations. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, through, through the years and developing it and, and really trying to support it to be something that was accessible to all people across abilities and ages um like i love the virtuosity of it but the, i uh the connection with self was what took pri what takes priority right and yeah. and connecting with the self is being able to be 
um, empowered, liberated, um, in one's agency and autonomy and how we relate to the world. Those are the things that take priority in, in what eventually became Park on Resilience uh -huh. as a like integrate social justice. Yeah. And then moving Rasa, which is something that integrates my voice hmm. as an Indonesian American doing this work. Yeah. Um, and that's why, that, that's why it was a, a an important shift for me to to be able to insert myself as a Southeast Asian American man that has something of value to contribute to somatics and anti-racism and anti-oppressive work. Because um, I, I don't see very many, um, I don't see our voice. I don't see Southeast Asian or Asian voices um, represented in uh, improvisation fields as well as like anti-racist, anti-oppressive communities so much. And so I, I was, uh, and I was, I was like in Park on Resilience, I was almost like invisibilizing myself in that. And so it was oh. like a process of like, ah, right. what's at my core? Right. Moving Rasa and so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting this point you bring up and, you know, again, in, in readings and stuff like that, like this idea of assimilation and then kind of claiming one's history and ancestors and all that kind of stuff. And just as you're speaking, like thinking about improvisation, but also, you know, also somatics and like our shared history with Feldenkrais. And I didn't realize until just I was reading your stuff that you also, David, um, Zemek Burson was also your, he was my teacher as well. And, um, and so like, you know, I think especially like you think about like the people who started doing contemporary improv out of like Judson and the sixties and all that kind of stuff, they did reference a lot, like, especially like Zen and Buddhism and this idea of like this development of mindfulness, but it was always an extraction. Um, it was always or an abstraction, an extraction and an abstract abstraction of kind of those source materials, which I don't even know how accurately they were source materials or if they were just like this vague idea that they were pulling from. And, um, and you know, and I also remember in somatics, I remember Feldenkrais saying something like talking about the Eastern influences from Japan also, I think mostly, um, but yet they're kind of held up and then set aside, or they're not really um, delved into like, what does it mean to even make these references um, yeah. and hold them? And yeah, it seems very kind of extraction oriented. And so curious about like your, you, cause you have such an extensive experience with somatics and um and this kind of wanting to find your own voice and your own history within a somatic practice i don't know if there's you've already kind of started to talk about it but could you i don't know maybe talk a little bit more about that evolution for you that how that has come into moving rasa i mean again you've already kind of touched on it but i'm sure there's a lot more to say mm -hmm. um yeah uh, so I'm certified in Laban movement analysis and I've, um, done some studying with Martha Eddy, uh, and kind of body mind centering work and her integration of that with Laban, 
uh, through her program Dynamic Embodiment, um, and then the Feldenkrais work in terms of like somatic work. Yeah. Um, and I think when I was first learning, I mean, I spent years learning all of those things. Um, and uh, it was very connected with my relationship to trying to find the American dream to assimilate. And uh, I wanted to, you know, be, be find the, have the correct and ideal alignments and wanted to be the universal man that, that I felt like uh, the ideal kind of human that was being lifted up by Laban and that could like, you know, reach all the different points <laughs> of the icosahedron and different <laughs> tracings and whatnot. And, and whenever I asked about, um, you know, where does, where, where does my context come in, in, in here or, or like, um, Oh, what is it called? Um, or, or what, what is, what, like, in, I'm forgetting what the name was, but in, uh, Bartinyev was involved in, um, in some kind of, I'm forgetting the name, but some sure. kind of, uh, essentializing of movement, uh, that kind of like categorized cultures in certain ways and then kind uh -oh. of put Europeans at the top kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, I'm forgetting the name. But there's some there's some name for it, um, but basically, the um, there wasn't accountability for that kind of thing, right? It was more like, oh no, we're we're this this form is just about realizing the um, the ideal potential of human beings, universal ideal human potential of human beings. Um, and then I would ask, you know, like, how come I don't see other people of color in the in the teachers, like the people who are teaching it? And yeah. Where where are they? Um, how does the trauma in my body relate to trying to like engage with some of these ideas? And that was all like when I was going like coming of age in those systems. That was always something that I had to leave at the door, you know. Yeah. Um, culture wasn't really something that was. Um, inspiring and feeding those things but it was rather i had to learn the concepts and try to um, conform my body to try to really understand understand those things um and let's see i i mean i i was i was frustrated i mean i was, I was frustrated with the um the lack of companions that i felt to be able to um come into connection with myself and in relationship to the work and so um one of my first pushes with in kind of exploring parkhan as i had first laid it out even though i wasn't like necessarily connecting to rasa at the time sure. was that I, I just needed to have a space that was bipoc majority to try to to try to make sense of like um, how my racialization was part of my somatics, mm. because I knew that mm -hmm. if I had, uh, and, and in my experience, if I had a white majority space, 
that I would always have to be challenging. I would always be challenged and questioned about why we were bringing up race in the first place. And so to be able to even crack those questions in my somatics, in my body about who I was racially and, and how those concepts fit within the tone of who I was, the context was incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't something that was ever addressed within my somatic learnings before that, like who is around me and where I'm doing these things yeah. matters to how I'm able to connect to my tone, to connect to my story, connect to my images, my memories. Right. And that's where Rasa came in. Cause like in my somatics, I didn't learn that Rasa was important. Like <laughs> why is a connection to memories or my desires or my ancestors? What like, that's not relevant. Like just learn how to, how to move in a light way and yeah. float in a light way. Right? And so, so it was like, it was uh, stripped. It, like it was it was made into a, a scientific thing mm -hmm. um, that was separate from me. And so, um, so with Parkon and, and the kind of the inspiration from contact, right? There's this, this sharing of nervous systems. There's like something happening there. And so it's like, okay, so what if we actually, what if the weight that's being shared is not just, you know, uh, physics? It's not just, as Steve Paxson would say, physics and, and, and like uh, material coming together. But in fact, like my Southeast Asian body, which has a weight, a social weight, mm -hmm. social political weight behind it, and a white body might be coming together. And if that white body that I'm dancing with, white male body, for example, that I'm dancing with, starts to dance with me and starts to push in aggressive ways and, or maybe starts to go into like Kung Fu moves or whatever like that, that is the weight of society coming into our dance and our improv, right? It's not like, <laughs> to, to say that that's not influencing the weight exchange and weight play is like, what? And, yeah. you know, so, so, uh, Parkon and Parkon resilience or definitely going into the resilience was like, what's happening here? What, like, what is that? What, what, what are these, what else is coming with my weight besides this tissue and uh -huh. the right. weight of the tissue? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, for me, um, one thing that I, uh, talk about, um, that I've been talking about, I've been um, doing some consulting with the Brooklyn Contact uh, Jam folks um, to to move towards a a more equitable and inclusive space. And one of the things that I've been talking about is like, well, what's the difference between um, integration, an integrated space that's assimilatory versus an integrated space that's pluralistic, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like. So like, how do we create a pluralistic integrated space, right? So like the assimilated integrated space is where we, we don't talk about difference. We don't bring up anything. We just have the universal body and the universal technique. And it's like not connected to our histories, our emotions, like those things aren't shared. Mm -hmm. um, and it gets to be white centered mm -hmm. and as, as the universal, whereas a pluralistic space, is like acknowledging the context that we're coming in, the current events, the state of the world and how it affects our bodies and, and, and how we all are bringing in the weight of a social political world into a shared experience 
that is affecting the decisions that we're making and the ways that we're playing and improvising and, and sharing weight. Yeah. Um, and that it's important that we create agreements to be able to navigate those things because if we don't, then we have uh, we we have the uh, assimilation patterns, you know, uh, oppressive patterns that can just quash uh, voices of the marginalized, the mm-hmm. the bodies of the marginalized, the experiences of the marginalized to be able to show up. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to create these community agreements to respect the collective body. Um, that happens and, and to create to, to respect the context um, for other bodies to show up. And it's important that all the bodies that show up like buy into and um, buy into this invitation to, uh, to, to, to be in collective in an alternative way than what is just, you know, normally done so that, so that, uh, uh, integration of plurality can emerge, right? So that um, in Indonesian, they call it uh, binaka tunggal ika. And it's like one of the founding principles of the country because it was like, because Indonesia was, uh, is like the largest archipelago in the world. Right. Um, and it has thousands of different languages that all became one language or that, that all became one country. Right. Um, and the idea when it was founded was that um, to, to get by and it wasn't to like, we're going to quash all your cultures and your, you know, where you're coming from, but we can, uh, we can find unity and diversity. Curious, like when you think about creating these community agreements around kind of this pluralistic framework, I'm wondering, and obviously each group needs to kind of work through that on their own, but I'm curious, like what, what kind of agreements, manifest to 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 create that environment or that yeah that kind of um framework that you're talking about like like more specifically i'm curious about like specifics if you can you know if you have any off the top of your head how does that i mean i think there's typical ones that 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 many people might be aware of like speak from an eye eye statements and uh <laughs> they're not coming to my head speak yeah. from i statements and uh sorry i'm having that's okay i'm having my I'm putting podcast. i'm putting you on the spot a little bit podcast nervousness on the spot can't think brain <laughs> um, but I, but but uh but in relationship to the first first part of your question was like well what what specifically do we focus on um I really think finding ways to incorporate a connection from one's internal experience and how it's connected to desires, memory, the social political body, and having that outwardly expressed and the collective to be able to embrace that and see it uh, is critical. Yeah. Right. And that that's what I'm talking about in terms of uh, the rasa, right? Like how do, how do we, make the rasa transparent so that we can be with it in the community yeah um rather than pretend like nothing is happening or you know struggles aren't happening underneath there um but how do we how do we hold each other with care um through a process so so one of the first agreements that i always kind of put into groups and offer to groups is like that my body matters Mm. right so like 
that can be like, you know, getting water, going to the bathroom at, at a very kind of superficial level, but that's also like, what do you feel inside? Mm-hmm. And if something doesn't feel right, do we have, do we, have we created a culture where it feels like you can, where we can disrupt, where we can disrupt the flow of things so that uh, further harm doesn't keep on happening to us or, or to another person? Mm-hmm. Um, can we create a culture where our somat, like our felt sense, our somatics or our rasa like matters and that we can share it and that we can work together um, so that we can show up in our fullness and, and, um, and identify like, you know, something here like really feels like it's preventing me from showing up in my fullness or preventing me from, um, from improvising and, and accessing myself to be in community and that that can be worked on together. Oh, maybe, maybe that's because you're the only person of color in this room and it, and none of the white people in the room feel comfortable talking about race. Um, yet in, in, and right. And so they're not talking about the Rasa that's there, the social political things that are happening yet they're in it. You know, there's a dance happening and there's improv happening and you're being treated differently. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. So, so, so there has to be some conversation that like, some way within the agreements that that support that conversation to happen, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe that's like the also the permissions to be messy, you know, to um, to not be perfect, you know. It's like, and and that's addressing kind of a a, a behavior of uh, that shows up in white office spaces, right? Like, there's a, a article by Tema Okun, mm-hmm. um, kind of well known that's out there. That's about different behaviors of, of whiteness oh, yeah like and, urgency and and those types of things yeah those types of yeah. things perfection yeah. you know, perfection like them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so agreements agreements that kind of dismantle uh those kind of unspoken behaviors that that people might not even be aware that they're doing mm-hmm. um create a space of uh that's more that that can allow for plurality because it's it's those behaviors that recreate the oppression even mm-hmm. if you know especially because people aren't intending to do them right, right. There, there's no intention behind them right so they so they just see it as like i'm just i'm not doing anything no. right but it's because because whiteness is this universal thing that it's like they they get unaccounted for so it has to be called out it has to be called out um and and work through in in, a, in the community so that it, it so that uh, whiteness can be decentered because without calling them out, whiteness can, will continue to be centered, and the behaviors that support it to be on top will continue to be there. And marginalized people will, you know, not be in, and then they don't want to come back to the gyms, right. <laughs> which is which is what I've experienced. Right. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Um, it's interesting. I, I two two thoughts for me come up one is is not about contact per, exactly it's more about Feldenkrais I remember when I first moved to Milwaukee and started teaching at the university here my first semester so this was nine and a half ten years ago I was teaching like the freshman like modern class and I was like all right I'm gonna do a lot of Feldenkrais with them this semester because I they're freshmen they're used to doing like competition dance and they need to like 
come inside and sense and feel themselves. And um, so every maybe two weeks we do a session, you know, like spend half the class doing like an awareness through movement lesson or whatever. And I think after the second one, a, a young black man came up to me and said, Daniel, I just, I can't do this. And I was like, all right, like what's going on? He's like, this is not made for black bodies. And um, it was a moment, it was, a, it was, you know, he was being my teacher in that moment. And, um, you know, we talked about it. I reached out to a lot of my Feldenkrais people and, you know, we kind of like tried to like figure out like what, like I was trying to like figure out what he meant. I think now I have a lot better idea of what he meant. At the time it was, I think I was, no, I, I definitely still was in like this, oh, Feldenkrais, you're just moving your arm and feeling your shoulder blade. Like it's just anatomy and awareness and stuff like that. And I think through that experience, like understanding that there just needs to be a lot more conversation about the practice and permission to do the practice people's own way, or even step out of the practice um, or talk about why they're comfortable or uncomfortable doing it. Right. Like just, just a lot more context. And I, I actually do it less in technique classes now than I first did it. Um, be, just because it feels like the frame of the class isn't supportive. Maybe it's not supportive. There's other ways to bring it in or offer it that people have more choice around it. Right. <laughs> and um, so that was, you know, and then the other thing that come that I'm thinking of is that I'm co-teaching the improv class this semester. And in two weeks, I'm doing like a three week session on contact. And it's been a couple of years. It's been a couple of years since I've taught contact so directly to um, and this is mostly first year students and then a bunch of our dance minors. So it's people who are less experienced being in the department and, you know. This is, I, I, I mean, I've, obviously this has been on my mind for a long time, but just having this conversation right now, like, oh, right. I need to like really think about, especially like how to, how to frame that class, that first class or set up these, maybe some agreements with them um, oh, yeah. that, that will, and all, yeah, give them more agency within it. I mean, I always kind of like, I feel like I always said, oh, if you want to step out, you're welcome to, but I think I just need to be more concrete with it and not kind of, you know, you can say the agreements, but then if there's this peer pressure in the room, the agreements don't matter, right? Because people like say, oh, I can't step out because no one else is stepping out. So I have to think about that some more. And it is a white- There's a thing with agreements that I feel like sometimes, um, you know, we, we have like five or six or seven, whatever agreements on a piece of paper. And, and then we share them with people and we're like, okay, those are the agreements. And then like, that's how it's delivered. But yeah. an, an agreement yeah. is like something that somebody invests their, um, their consciousness in to ask how it sits with them mm -hmm. to then consider to modify it in a new way so that they can live into it. Right. Do they have any uh what and to to ask themselves like that, that and that's where i feel like um again bringing like uh one's internal experience to even the question of agreement mm -hmm. like 
does it sit well with you? You know, like mm -hmm. this agreement. Yeah. Um, how could it sit better with you? Like what, what else can be shifted or what else can, yeah. can be put in so that it sits even better yeah. with you? Um, even like things like consent, right? Like yeah. when we, when we do yes and no in, in, in the classrooms, it's like, well, how can we approach, uh, yes and no in a way that really feels empowering to you that really like like how would you want the no to feel like in a, in a way that uh that feels empowering yeah and then being able to practice that in different ways yeah as towards the agreements like it's right. that embodied sense of the agreements yeah that's because, a really because yeah, yeah even as the words then then yeah people are gonna kind of forget about them right yeah that's that's a that's a really good point of actually to practice to practice the agreements. <laughs> Ask for consent. Everyone, we're going to practice saying no to being touched right now, and like those types of things, right? Um, and 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 what's the experience in saying the no? Like sometimes yeah. I might have an experience like I can't really say, and I feel like this, like, uh, yeah. but the exercise is to say no, so I'm going to say no. <laughs> right, but, right. But it's concerning to me. Like, can you get to a no that feels like no? That yeah. feels that like feels in you. Like, how do we get you there? Like, because yeah, we yeah. could have the agreement, but if you can't connect it in your body and your ways, then like, can yeah. we really trust that they're going to have you know the the uh, autonomy or like maybe they don't you know feel like they have the agency to to connect with their no. So like, yeah. like that's important to like be uh, feeling into. I, I don't know as a like I feel as a facilitator like to support people to really. Um, feel like they can lean on the agreements yeah right yeah yeah <laughs> and it's good practice for the this broader life of being able to say no to things as well right we know so many of us in our broader context have trouble saying no to things you know can you teach this class can you volunteer here can you do that can you do this the university is just like a you know a torrent of uh questions to do things and it's sometimes hard to say no for both I think faculty and students just in that broader sense um kind of pulling back out to your you know practice moving rasa and how you're bringing it out into the world um in different ways you're doing these affinity gatherings affinity groups is there other ways that moving rasa is manifesting itself in the world these days yeah, um, <clears throat> I'm currently working with uh, the New Jersey Education Association. So I'm working with the teachers union and nice. uh, connecting with a facilitator who teaches restorative justice. And so we're weaving the practices together. So using Moving Rasa as a way to uh, make visible the stories and the and the rasa that's happening behind topics so that a, a circle conversation can can be movements as well as words and mm -hmm. um what's investigated and thought about is like maybe configurations that happen or things that arise within an improvisation um and so i'm working with them i'm training a, a cadre of like six or seven teachers right now for this spring semester right. um i've uh, I'm hoping to continue doing more work um, with survivors of sexual assault. And so um, last 
I guess starting in the summer of 2021, um, I had made connections with a group called NAPICEF, which is the National Organization of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders Ending Sexual Violence, <laughs> NAPICEF. Okay. And, uh, I was invited to be part of a small group of uh, six uh, folks, six to eight folks who uh, were healers, cultural bearers, artists um, of Asian, uh, of the Asian diaspora to create a, a handbook basically for survivors that they could go to. And so it included, you know, like recipes and rituals mm. and moving rasa um, activities um, to support the nervous systems, to support people to connect to their worlds, to, yeah, to, to be a companion for the survivors and so uh and then in february of last year i went to guam and worked with uh service providers so police interpreters um teachers counselors again like how how um bringing the inside out can can be a way of uh being seen, seeing others, witnessing um, to build trust and empathy so that um, survivors can be supported more. Yeah. Um, and, and that service providers could connect that their own connection to themselves is critical in yeah. that uh, relationship building process. Yeah. Um, there was a police officer that was part of that, that Guam experience who, uh, was really choked up because uh, they were realizing how they had kind of lost themselves in their duties. They felt like they were always having to be a police officer, even when off duty, that they couldn't like, they, they couldn't find themselves anymore. And that this was like this, you know, creative movement site specific approach was like a way that they were having fun and that they were like, this is my experience, you know, like just feeling one's presence and your own experience and agency and being like, why have I let this go in my life? Right. And, and so like being able to <clears throat> connect that in that, that presence of self and in, in, in the, in through the experiences of like improvisation and somatics into how they're working with um, survivors and working with other police. Um, it it kind of like transformed their relationship to, to, to how they're doing their work and, and what they prioritize and so um so i'm and i have some things on the yeah. on the burner hopefully to continue uh working with different aspects either survivors or the service providers yeah um, wow that sounds really beautiful that sounds like really powerful work in this story you know about the police officer and you know these roles that we that we find ourselves in and how kind of um tight or how open we allow them to be right like just that i'm a police officer i'm always a police officer that create whatever those boundaries are for him or were for him um feeling the need to hold on to them and just through this you know you're leading this practice of uh, allowing him to kind of remember those other places outside the boundaries that he's created yeah or have been created or however 
they get established. Um, that sounds really, really wonderful. Um, I just, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, um, but I guess I, I do want to circle back because you did mention writing as improvisation. I don't want to leave that um, off. Just, I mean, I mean, maybe it seems a little like like light or something after everything else we've talked about, but um, I, you know, I love process and like would love to hear like when you talk about writing as an improvisational practice, like what does what does that look like for you? How does that like what's the what's the process? Hmm. Um, I think as a overall, it's kind of like learning to be uh, compassionate with myself because I think I used to beat myself up a lot, you know, about yeah. like not being able to write something, but. But when I look at it, when I've been looking at it more as like an improvisational practice, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have a, you know, hour, two hour session here with me and my pen or me and my, me and the keyboard. Yeah. And just going to invite my attention and the things to flow out of me, however they're going to flow. Um, it's a lot, it's a lot less pressure and mm -hmm. kind of more exciting to see what movements emerge. Yeah. And so... Um, so I don't hold fast to like needing to necessarily be linear, yeah. uh, in, in how I'm writing. Sometimes I'll, you know, write a little bit here, skip down to another place and then I'll come back, you know? So there's this kind of jumping around. Um, I've played with kind of the structure of how I write, you know, like, so initially I would, again, I would write just like kind of linearly, but now I like might write different topic headings or, um, and then skip from one to the other, or I'll, I'll like know that I want to work on one section, but I know that before that, I want to dabble a little bit in the energy of a different chapter. Um, and so I'll kind of reread it, refine that, and then I'll come back to this first chapter. So it's like, it's almost like uh, the, the, the writing piece itself becomes this uh, companion that I can kind of like, uh, touch into and dabble in and then come back into other other parts of and yeah 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 that's great that's wonderful well Andrew thank you so much for taking time today to talk with me and and talk about your work it's really inspiring to hear kind of what you're doing out in the world both kind of developing your own personal practice and then how you're sharing it I think that's just really um you know, it's, I said inspiring, but it is, it is inspiring to hear that, that this work is getting out in the world the way it is. So I really appreciate you um, sharing it. And like, you know, this Act React podcast is a conversation around lots of different improv practices. And um, I think of it as like a little archive and also like a tapestry of the way that all these different practices might weave together. So I'm really happy to have you as part of that. I appreciate you reaching out to me, Daniel. Yeah, of course. All right, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Andrew. There's so much in this conversation to unpack that I've really enjoyed actually listening to it a couple of times. Please check out the show notes for links to Andrew out in the world and on the web. As always, please subscribe to Act React. You can find us on YouTube, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. 
I hope you're able to join me for the next episode. I'll be talking with Elena Day, who's a dancer, physical theater artist, and former performer with Cirque du Soleil. If you ever saw Lanuba in Orlando, you probably saw Elena as the funky bird character. I've actually seen that show a couple of times. It's, it was a really wonderful show. Now, Elena is the education director for the New England Center for the Circus Arts. And we discuss how she uses improvisation as a creator, a performer, and as, and as a teacher. Elena really brings a wonderfully different perspective on improvisation. And so I hope you can join me for that conversation. Until then, take care, be well, and live spontaneously. <laughs>